The cost of superannuation is expected to nearly triple in the next 15 years and is set to become the government's biggest single expense. The government says the cost is affordable and it won't raise the eligibility age or introduce means testing of New Zealand superannuation until the public demands it. But critics say New Zealand faces a superannuation cost blowout if nothing is done soon. This Radio New Zealand Insight programme explores how the costs of an ageing population will be paid for and the impact on future generations. Is there a million dollar note? No. no. So what do you do if you want a million dollars? You have to save up. You have to save up? Definitely. These five-year-olds at Upper Harbour Primary School on Auckland's North Shore are already learning financial literacy skills. This school is taking part in a pilot programme run by the Commission for Financial Capability, which aims to teach children the basics of money, saving and debt as early as possible. The Retirement Commissioner, Diane Maxwell, says these basic skills will give these children a much stronger start as they head into their teenage years, adult working lives and eventually old age. Diane Maxwell says the retirement these children face is likely to be very different. By the time they're retired, uh, over a quarter of the population will be 65 plus. The dependency ratio, which is a clunky term for the number of people working versus the number of people drawing down on the tax base, so superannuitants and beneficiaries, that balance will have changed significantly. There'll be more people retired at to fewer people working. So there'll be pressures on the public purse, there will be changes to healthcare, to what's available, to what we pay for ourselves, and there'll be, there'll be some pressure points, inevitably. Many believe something has to change. Treasury's long-term fiscal projections say it all. The working age population will be squeezed mercilessly. They'll get ever lower benefits and tax credits, Lots of student debt, high repayments, while an older, mostly more affluent generation lives longer and takes what is seen as an undue share of resources. Well, if absolutely nothing is done, what we are facing is a massive blowout in the expenditure on superannuation. Uh, we know that we've got an ageing population in New Zealand uh, that has cost implications not just for superannuation but also in healthcare as well. So it is the kind of issue that a responsible government would be thinking about now and developing a plan so that we can continue to deliver sustainable uh, support for people in, in their ageing years. Others say no change is needed. The raw numbers are a bit misleading because as a proportion of GDP, say by 2050, uh, the spend in New Zealand on national super will only reach the levels that it's already at in some developed countries. Uh, so it's not, it, it, of course it's an issue, uh, but it's not really a question of crisis or it being unaffordable. We have choices as a community. I'm Anusha Bradley, and this insight explores the future of superannuation. I'll recall the numbers. So it was number six. 31 and 47. It's a crisp winter morning and about 40 pensioners have gathered at the Newland Friendship Club in West Auckland to play housey, indoor bowls and catch up with friends over morning tea. This year, 665,000 people will receive New Zealand superannuation, a universal payment that will cost taxpayers $11.5 billion. That's about 5% of gross domestic product.
All that we are doing and all that we intend to do is to make this country safe for ordinary people to go about their business in freedom and to earn a comfortable living with social security until the end of their days. In 1939, the first Labour Prime Minister, Michael Joseph Savage, introduced the first universal public pension for over 65s. Back then, pensioners were only expected to live another 12 years. I live with my daughter and my son-in-law, and they help, they pay for everything anyway, so I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones. It's not a lot. I don't think if you live on your own, it must be quite hard, I would think, paying shopping and pet bills and things. I think 65 is a good age to have it. Work for 50 years, you've earned it. You know, you're paying all those years. Rather, rather us get it than the youngsters who paid nothing. <laughs> Today, a 65-year-old man can expect to live until he's 87, a woman until she's 90. All superannuation costs are paid for by current taxpayers. I was taking money out of my pension that the government gave me, put in the KiwiSaver, and then you get all this extra money. That was good. And so do you feel like you have enough to live on at the moment? Uh, yeah, because I've got a good wife. <laughs> I love my life. I love my life. So I belong to a f four clubs. Mm. And uh, do you live on the super alone? Yes, yes, and I do. How do you manage with that? Good. I can save. But I am a saver anyway. I left school at 13 and started work straight away. Mm. I've worked most of my life. But the number of taxpayers is declining. In the 1960s, there were seven workers for every pensioner. Today, the ratio is five to one. By 2060, the Treasury predicts superannuation will cost $100 billion a year, or 8% of GDP. At the same time, net government debt is predicted to swell to 198% of GDP. You know, there's a lot of talk about uh, ageing and, and it being a problem. And, and Aaron Drew is an economist at the Independent Consultancy, the New Zealand Institute of Economic Research. Early in his career, he spent four years at the OECD in Paris and says this gave him an insight into the ageing population problem. For my sins, I had this uh, sort of interesting job of trying to project out on current policies what um, fiscal debt positions would look like. And uh, this was for countries like Spain and Greece and Italy and, and, and uh, these ones we're very aware of today. And, and I, you know, when I first did it, I thought there must be a, some problem with the programme or the data because I just couldn't believe the numbers uh, which were there. And I was only a, a young junior economist at the time, so I didn't have a particularly deep knowledge about these economies. And so I went and talked to the economists who sort of were looking after those countries and they said, no, that's what it is. It's completely unsustainable. Aaron Drew says while New Zealand is currently in a far better situation than many other developed countries, that may not always be the case. The regional perspective is where the ageing problem is most acute. So essentially there's only uh, three regions in New Zealand where Statistics New Zealand is confident the population level will keep on growing over the next 30 to 40 years. Uh, that's, that's the Auckland region, the Waikato region, Canterbury region. The rest of New Zealand there's a chance that um, population levels uh, actually fall. And in the rest of New Zealand, there's also a much, much steeper ageing uh, profile occurring. Many students at the University of Auckland are in their 20s and are yet to embark on their chosen career paths. But over the next 40 to 50 years, the country will be relying on their taxes to pay for rising superannuation and health costs. So what do they think about this prospect? And what kind of retirement are they expecting for themselves?
I don't think it's fair. I'd expect that I won't be paying um, for my own superannuation at the moment and that I won't be getting NZ Super. It's a little bit scary thinking that we may not have the same system in place when we're old um, and we're going to have to work a lot harder because we'll need a lot more money to live on. I'll just deal with it with my own money at the end of the day. I'll work to make sure that I have enough to make my retirement comfortable. I do think the age should be higher, but it won't get done because you don't want to be the government who, you know, puts the age up because you won't get in because the population is skewed that way. Others are not so concerned. I don't know, I suppose if that's the cost, that's the cost. May in the end of the day be that age I need it, so pans out in your favour, I guess, eventually. I don't think about my retirement, no. I, um... I'm hoping that I'll be in a job when I'm that age that I'll be able to support myself, which would be would be nice. But, you know, people over 65 have been promised a pension, so we kind of, we're expected to pay it, I suppose. So I think we have to. I'm happy to pay taxes for um, superannuation, basically. I hope that it's still around and the age doesn't go up, you know. Hopefully we'll have saved enough to not worry about too much, the, the pension, because it's not that much anyway. Um, I never really think about it, but I mean, if I have to work hard for them, then that's okay with me. I want to look after like my grandparents, all the other old people. The old people are important. <laughs> In 2013, the Retirement Commissioner, Diane Maxwell, urged the government to raise the eligibility age for super by one year every decade, starting in 2027. She also recommended it consider changing the way the benefits calculated, or means testing it. That same year, the Treasury said raising the retirement age and linking super to consumer price inflation, rather than average wage inflation as it currently is, would make significant savings. Diane Maxwell says she wasn't surprised her recommendations were ignored. The difficulty for any government of the day is how you ask a population to think 20 years out and think policy change 20 years out. So the challenge for any government of the day is how you sell in a policy change that in the moment feels abhorrent. You know, to change the indexation for retirees where they get less as an absolute amount year on year um, is a very difficult call. Spending under the previous government had risen 50% in just five years, which was unaffordable. Treasury warned of permanent deficits and debt rising to over 60%. The Finance Minister, Bill English, presenting his seventh budget in Parliament. To support the economy in the short term. A few days later in Auckland, Mr English has just given the first of five post-budget speeches planned for the day. He says he's not worried about the Treasury's or the Retirement Commission's warnings that current policy settings need to change. The use of the term crisis is overstated. Uh, there's an inevitability about an ageing population, uh, but we do need to keep it in proportion because it's only one of a range of issues to deal with in our community. And a lot of the others, the important issues around long-term costs, are more amenable to change than uh, pensions. But just to keep it in proportion... In the last four years, we've reduced government expenditure as a proportion of GDP by about four percentage points. Uh, superannuation will rise, will push that up by about one and a half percentage points of GDP through to 2030. So I think it demonstrates that broader control of government spending 
uh, assists with the affordability of this program and as long of pensions and national super in the same way as it assists with the affordability of every other um, spend we have. Mr English says tinkering with super is simply not a vote winner and he believes no government would make changes such as means testing until voters themselves demand it. Uh, it's just not politically sustainable um, even though it would reduce the cost but it's just not acceptable um, to the general public. The argument over 30 years has led to some pretty embedded assumptions in New Zealand uh, that they'll get a pension at 65, that it will be universal regardless of your income, and that it's going to be tied to wages. Um, and every other variation has been tried since the mid-80s, and this is the one we've ended up with, uh, now supplemented by KiwiSaver, which I think is a, you know, a permanent uh, feature of the landscape. The Labour Party blames its last two electoral defeats partly on its push to raise the retirement age to 67. Labour's finance spokesman, Grant Robertson, says all its policies are under review and they won't be revealed until the next election. Well, we believe in universal superannuation. We acknowledge that New Zealanders over the years have paid their taxes and this is an entitlement to an, an order that older New Zealanders can live with dignity and participate in society. So we support universal superannuation. What a responsible government now needs to do is plan for how that remains sustainable, how that's delivered fairly, and how future generations can continue to expect that kind of support. With neither National or Labour willing to change New Zealand super, economist Aaron Drew says there are few options left but for governments and individuals to save. The former Labour finance minister, Sir Michael Cullen, received super and still works almost full-time. 70 years old, yes. I've hit, I've hit the biblical three score years and ten, so if I was a, a believer, I'd be saying it's all sort of in credit from here on. I mean, I'm, I'm carrying on working despite the fact I've got a pacemaker, um, asthma, a couple of other conditions I won't go into because it's slightly gory to describe on radio. Um, but, but, you know, modern medical science keeps me literally ticking along. Well, he's not a typical retiree, he recognised early on that retirement savings would have to play a bigger role and in 2001 created the New Zealand Superannuation Fund. I think initially there was a degree of political scepticism from the government's uh, opponents uh, who thought it was a bit of kind of smoke and mirrors. Uh, but then I think quickly settled down. I think quickly people began to think that there is some virtue in at least some level of pre-funding to reduce to some extent the amount of taxation required long-term to sustain New Zealand superannuation. Despite the initial scepticism, the Cullen Fund, as it's also known, is generally hailed as an extraordinary success. It's now worth more than $29 billion, averaging a rate of return of more than 10%. You. Good, mate. That's me. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Likewise. Adrian Orr is the chief executive of the Super Fund. At the moment, um, retirement income is 100% what we call pay-as-you-go. Today's revenue pays today's retired. The fund at its peak will be paying for about 15% of the total cost of future retirement income. In other words, 85% will still come out of the taxpayer on the day. So we are bridging that gap between fully um, pay as you go to partially save as you go. The government stopped putting money into the super fund when the global financial crisis hit in 2008. 
Adrian Orr says that decision has limited its ability to pay for future super costs. We haven't been receiving capital contributions for the last six years. Um, we've managed to maintain broadly on pace of expectations because we've had exceptional returns to the fund. In the absence of our returns and capital contributions going into the fund, then the only alternatives are either higher future tax rates or higher future public debt or lower generosity of future retirement incomes. There's no escape around it. There's no magic um, bullet here. So, you know, it's important to continue to save and it's important to get the best returns possible we can because the alternatives are high-risk strategies themselves. We don't know the future tax capability of this economy. We don't know the future ability to raise public debt. The Finance Minister Bill English says the government has not been willing to borrow money to put into the fund. He says payments will resume once the government's reduced its net debt to 20% of GDP, which it expects to hit in 2020. But economist Aaron Drew says if the government had kept up with its contributions, it would have already hit this target. Because a pool of financial assets earns a higher return than um, the cost of debt, cost of issuing debt, what that means is that over time you'd expect the net debt position of the economy, which is just the net of the assets held by the government against the debt, uh, to actually be better if you're building up a pool of financial assets. So in other words, net debt today would have been five percentage points higher, or else equal, if the NZ Super Fund hadn't been set up. Now if contributions hadn't have been suspended, that net debt position would have been even better. It, um, the numbers I have um, from the Super Fund themselves suggested that uh, net debt might have been eight percentage points uh, better than if uh, funding hadn't have stopped. The super fund is the biggest single taxpayer in the country, pouring about one billion dollars a year into the government's coffers. Its chief executive Adrian Orr says paying tax wasn't an issue when the government was putting money in. When capital contributions stopped, um, our New Zealand tax continued, and so that has been a net drain on the fund. So since capital contributions stopped, we've paid over $3 billion in tax, which means the fund is that much smaller than it otherwise would be for future retirement income, including, of course, the, um, the earnings that we could have earned um, on that money. The government is using a fund which is for future generations to pay for its current spending. Is that frustrating? Uh, I, I think you've um, summed it up very well. I won't express a personal um, emotion, but um, yes, I mean, this fund is about saving for future consumption. It's not about trying to earn revenue for current consumption. So any withdrawal from the fund certainly um, lowers the future ability to afford retirement income at this level. Bill English says it's only fair the super fund is taxed just like any other commercial fund. But an Auckland-based tax consultant, Terry Boucher, has another explanation. They're paying 10% of all the corporate income tax paid by corporate New Zealand. They are way out in front as the largest single taxpayer in the country. The only other entity that might come close to them would be the banks. And I think you'd have to add up most of the banks to, to get to that amount. That's how big the... Um, um, the the scale of the fund, and that means it's important for the, re the for the government when it wants to balance its books that it's getting a tax take. Because if the if the super fund was exempted from income tax, then the income tax rate for companies would have to rise by three percentage points. Bill English admits it's unfair that other government entities 
like ACC or the Reserve Bank, are not taxed on their investments. And in ACC's case, he will consider taxing them. Well, good morning, class. This is Budget Week. You'll be listening to what's going on in the media. But today we're going While save-as-you-go schemes, like the Super Fund, can help mitigate future costs, the co-director of the University of Auckland's Retirement Policy and Research Centre, Susan St John, says they can also be unfair on younger generations. That's because not only do taxpayers have to foot the bill for today's pensions, but they're having to pay for their own. She says this, coupled with discrepancies in the benefit and tax systems, may widen the gap between the have and the have-nots. A rising share of GDP going to the older population has to be seen in the light of how badly we are protecting other groups, such as low-income families with young children, disabled people and students. So in particular, we have to ask, why are we paying so much to a group at the top end of the distribution who may still be in full-time paid work, may be sitting on mountains of property, perhaps in Auckland, or have millions invested when we pay so little to the poorest families? While means testing is something few politicians want to discuss, she believes about $1 billion could be saved each year if super was means tested, through the use of a special tax scale. The academic and author on inequality issues, Max Rashbrook, says failing to address this imbalance has dangerous consequences. I think we do run the risk of seeing quite significant generational clashes. I mean, there's already a huge amount of resentment amongst people who are in, say, their 20s or early 30s, who feel that right across the picture they're getting a raw deal. You know, huge student loans when their parents didn't have to pay university fees. Um, It's very difficult to buy a house, whereas for the previous generation that was relatively straightforward. So there is already a lot of resentment and a, a feeling in a lot of ways that the system is quite broken, politically, and I think that is very dangerous um, because it leads to people being very cynical and and disengaging from the political process. And I think if we don't um, fix the issues around superannuation and ensure that there's a a solid future for New Zealand super, uh, that's just going to add to that resentment that already exists. Sir Michael Cullen says intergenerational tensions could be further fuelled by an increasingly influential group of older voters. If we do the crude arithmetic, the proportion of the population which is aged over, say, 60 or so in 2050 will be the dominant electoral factor. Uh, And older people vote more than younger people do, um, proportionately. So, in other words, political parties, in order to get elected, are going to have to um, not be too unkind to the elderly uh, at that time. So, in where cuts are going to have to occur is either through significant increases in taxation on those in in work or through cutting other forms of government spending in education, uh, in uh, infrastructure, uh, and so on and so forth. So, I mean, in my view, the real danger is that the young will be impoverished at the expense of the old by the middle of the century if we continue on our current path. Bill English admits that's the political reality and will mean other areas of government spending will be reduced before super is. The view of this government takes into account the fact that it's manageable, 
that there's other costs that are rising which we need to focus on. Health costs are going to be at least as big, in fact, a bigger challenge than the ageing population. And ongoing welfare dependency is a bigger challenge because it's more expensive. People can spend their whole lives on welfare if you don't do something about it. And it's more amenable to change. So we've just got a, a different set of priorities. But if we succeed in managing health costs and welfare dependency, then that makes it more likely that um, a reasonable pension can be sustained. Sir Michael Cullen was also the architect behind KiwiSaver, which launched in 2007. Altogether, the various schemes operating under the KiwiSaver umbrella are worth more than $25 billion and have nearly 2.5 million members. The government's now considering mass enrolment of all those not already signed up. And so I started life as a lawyer and I knew nothing about superannuation and I got A co-director of the Retirement and Policy Research Centre at Auckland University, Michael Littlewood, believes KiwiSaver is a waste of time. It's cost taxpayers about $7 billion in the eight years that it's been running. If I had a choice about how to spend $8 billion on retirement, it wouldn't have been on KiwiSaver. As I say, there was no evidence that New Zealanders were under-saving for retirement when it started. Uh, what we are now seeing is the demise of occupational, uh, super, other occupational superannuation. KiwiSaver will be the only occupational arrangements in place. Studies carried out by the IRD and Treasury have found KiwiSaver's impact on savings has been minimal. Sir Michael disagrees and says KiwiSaver's been most successful in changing people's attitudes towards retirement savings and it's now the right time to make it compulsory. We've reached the point where that is, that is feasible um, because we have so many people already in KiwiSaver. Um, I do believe that it's still important to maintain some form of front-end subsidy uh, in KiwiSaver, and indeed I would personally recommend increasing back that level of subsidy that the government cut in one of a number of cuts it's undertaken to KiwiSaver, not the $1,000 but the annual one, um, because that advantages lower-income people in KiwiSaver rather than higher-income people. It increases relatively the value of KiwiSaver to them, and I think that's a very useful thing to do because they're the people who most need some additional income and assets uh, in retirement. Diane Maxwell says whatever happens in the future, she believes people will have to save more for their own retirement. Ultimately, we can say that in the future there will be a pressure point, there will be less money sitting in the government coffers, and individuals will need to... Um, provide more for themselves. Now, I don't want to be uh, scaremongering with that. It's not that you know people will be living in absolute poverty with no government assistance. Simply, there will be pressure points, and it will be harder for the government to pay out at the rate that they do and at the age that they do. The ACT Party leader, David Seymour, is seeking cross-party agreement for a referendum on the issue. He says an independent panel should be selected to come up with a range of questions, including whether super should be means-tested or if the eligibility age should be raised. Look at the process we're using to choose a new flag or not, uh, and it's actually perfect. You have a, a group of experts leading a public debate, generating some options uh, before you then have a vote uh, that the public has. And there are several features of the flag debate that are similar. Uh, it's a long-term uh, decision that will affect all of us uh, and where no particular political party is going to get its way. Michael Littlewood says more data is needed about what retirement means for different individuals at different stages, 
before any real debate can happen. Diane Maxwell says education, even the sort going on in this classroom, will be crucial to any debate about the future of superannuation. Phrases and concepts like intergenerational equity are very hard for people to wrap their heads around. And, you know, I work with retirees of the future as much as, and increasingly more so, than retirees of today. And I have retirees of the day telling me off for that. Now, the way I put it to them, and this is where this debate needs to go, is we're talking about our children and our grandchildren. I'm Anusha Bradley, and that's Insight for this week. If you have any thoughts about this program or would like to get in contact, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz. Our Twitter handle is rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that program. It was produced by Philippa Tolley with technical production by Dan Bebin.